Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And my name is Goose. And on today's show, we had a very special guest. His name is Nick Valois. Now, Nick is actually a Dash Dot client, but we what we talked about today was his journey, his story as an investor, as a human being, where he started, where he is now, the fact that he's well and truly in the upper upper echelons of successful property investors in Australia, and he's still got a long way to go. Um, we talk about what his goals and dreams are with property and the lessons he's learned along the way. We even talk about a funny story about how some kangaroos broke in through the roof of one of his rental properties that we helped him buy in Townsville. So that is funny. So make sure you stick around for that. But if you want to hear a real story from a real person about how they have been able to build a successful, prolific, and profitable property portfolio in just seven years, then this is the episode for you. It's really great to be able to hear the trials and tribulations that Nick has gone through and to be able to relate them back to your own journey and to be able to see what is possible. So I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, it was great. It was fun and it was dynamic. So I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it too. Now, without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. But if you like this episode, if you like more of this stuff, make sure you like, rate, review, share this from wherever you are to someone that you love and care about. Uh, we really appreciate you listening to the show and we love your feedback too. So if you've got any feedback, send us an email, hello at dashdot.com.au. Without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me today is a very successful investor. And I say very successful because he is one of the lucky few who've who've crossed into the top 1% of property investors nationwide. His name is Nick Valois. He's also been working with Dashtop, and he's got a lot of lessons along the way that we want to dig into about how he's gotten to this position, the lessons he's learned, the challenges he's had, and what that all looks like. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much for having me. It's an, it's an absolute pleasure. It's a joy. Now, um. Obviously, most people are probably not going to know anything about you or what you do. And I've kind of touched on it there. You know, you're in the top one. But have you ever reflected on the fact you're in the top 1% of property investors nationwide? Um, I, I, it's a statistic that's thrown around a lot. Uh, you know, most, uh, was it, most investors stop at one, sometimes get to two. Yeah. Um, but then it drastically drops off and it gets over three or four. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I've often thought about it and thought, well, I actually got there a little easier than I thought I would. If that makes sense? It's... Yeah. Um, you know, sort of time in the market, sort of thing, and it um, you do, you, yeah, you get there. It's um, but yeah, it's impressive, I guess. Yeah, 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 it is, and it, you're right. It's a very steep drop off rate. It's about ninety percent don't get past two. And then, yeah, right. and then yeah. it's a really, yeah, it's a really kind of steep drop off from there. But look, before we start going straight into that, why don't we get to know you a little bit better? Because I'd love to kind of dig into your story. You've got a pretty interesting journey into kind of how you've progress through property, but also kind of generally through life. So why don't you give us a little bit of a, kind of a 60-second synopsis. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what do you do, you know, give us a bit of insight. Who are you? Yep. Um, 37 as of yesterday. Um, Happy birthday. Thanks, mate. Um, 37, married um, with a three-and-a-half-year-old son and a six-week-old baby girl. Um, and um, my wife is a primary school teacher. We live in Canberra. Uh, I am a carpenter by trade who then um, I did uni at the same time I was doing my apprenticeship yep. and did a bachelor in construction management and, um, yeah, ended up working residential carpentry and building for a while, got my builder's licence, um, ended up in commercial construction as the site manager yep. um, where I spent a better part of a decade um, and about five months ago, I moved over to client-side project management with one of the big four 
um, accounting firms, still managing construction projects, but large government projects. So, okay, so cool, hundred mil plus sort of stuff. Okay, so you started out building. So, so you're so you're thirty seven now. Um, you're as far as I can tell, and we're going to dig into this a little bit. You started investing when you're about thirty. Roughly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you started investing. I'm going to. We're going to dig into that a little bit. Let's go back a little bit further. Like, where did you? Where did you grow up? When did you get into construction? What's the? What's kind of been the journey? Like, where? Let's start at the start. Where did you? Where did you grow so up? When I I grew up in Canberra. Um, I spent some time living overseas. My father's a university lecturer. Um, so we lived in Sweden for a number of years. Um, which was pretty cool. Uh, at the end of school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I just tried to get as good a grade as possible. I managed to get into law, um, which at the time, actually, it sounds impressive, but at the time it wasn't very impressive. They were really short of lawyers, so I think architecture and law were about the same. You only need like mid-70s or something like that. So As long as you had a, as long as you had a pulse, basically, you could be yeah, a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I got, I got into law and I did... Um, I did like the first semester and I hated it, mate. Oh, there was Why? nothing more boring than reading Commonwealth, than reading Commonwealth law or law of torts. Or it was, it's just, I wasn't in the right frame of mind um, academically or in my personal life to go straight into such a, a heavy degree. Yeah. Um, so I deferred and I got a job working for LJ Hooker. Um, working as what they call buyer agents, um, but buyer agent back then, early two thousand, was I was the one who did all the open homes and mm. took the offers, but I didn't do any of the listings. So I basically just dealt on the buyer side as opposed to the listing side. Um, and one of the um, I, w- I was selling this. Um, it was like a in Bungendore near Canberra. It was a block of like four little standalone townhouses. Um, and this bloke turns up in his Ferrari and um, he was walking around and he was giving me a hard time asking all the questions and then he said, thank you, and was on his way out. And on his way out, I said, well, you know, are you going to make an offer or what do I have to do to get your business? Um, and he said, oh, no, I was just saying who was selling my apartments. This is my block of land. I actually own all of the stuff around here. And um, and he said, oh, you seem to know what you're talking about. He said, do you want to make some real money? And I sort of laughed thinking, you know, he was going to have you drug smuggling or something. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, you should be do an apprenticeship. You know, don't don't waste your time paying back your university. Re- really? Really? So, he's, he, so he was the one who said, Get out of here and do a trade. Is that what he? Yep. That's really yep. interesting. And so was he? He's obviously driving around in a Ferrari, so fair enough. But like, yep. so was he a builder, developer? Like, this, yep. was that was it? Okay, so he yep. basically said, if you want to follow my shoes, if you want to have some yep. of the trappings of wealth or whatever, go and learn how to build, and then you too can have this kind of yep. thing as well. We got out of his Ferrari in footy shorts and a pair of like red back um, steel. Perfect. Cap yeah, perfect. Man That's of my great. man of my people. So <laughs> um, I um, I said, all right. Well, I, I said, you know, I'd looked into it, but it was really hard to get an apprenticeship back then. It was super popular. Um, it was a really hardly fought. Um, like you know, for every position available, there mm. was twenty or thirty applicants. It was a really difficult thing to get into. A lot harder than getting into law then. Uh, way harder um and he said oh that's fine i've got a few contacts sort of thing and then one thing led to another and i got an apprenticeship with the um citea master builders association mm-hmm. um which is just a group training organization they farm you out to whoever needs you or whoever's prepared to pay for an apprentice and i got some yeah. pretty good experience doing that um you know working some commercial sites and mainly residential stuff the whole way through um, and then when I finished, uh, you know, I was working for someone and with carpentry, everyone, it's like anything, you know, there's 10 ways to skin a cat. Um, and I was working for a guy who thought, um, the best way to do something was not the same way I 
did. And I thought, stuff this, I can do this as well. So, you know, I got an ABN and off I went, made a few mistakes. Is that, is that, just, a, is that just a kind of like a, a kind of a funny way to say that you were too pig-headed to be able to be employed by anybody else? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, no, so yeah, I went out and did it for myself for a number of years, so four or five awesome. years I worked for myself. It was um, it was great fun. And then it was a period of time where uh, making the leap into like commercial construction, no one would look at you unless you had the degree. Mm. It sort of became, you know, the, the, the buzzword of, you know, 2010. It was unless you had the degree, you weren't considered even remotely capable of being able to do it. So I thought, well, I've already sort of, once you're enrolled, you're never unenrolled at uni. It's a business at the end of the day, and they keep your contact details in their database. So all I did was I changed my degree over to construction management. So I was really enjoying working as a carpenter, and I loved the industry. Um, And the degree I found relatively easy. I mean, I'd already been working in the industry a number of years, so it all came pretty naturally to me. Um, Yeah, and then I... Yeah, though I had a, a bunch of frames who were meant to stand and it got rained out and uh, I rang a mate of mine and said, oh, have you got any work for me at the moment? I've got a couple of guys that work for me where we, we can't stand these frames because the slopes were delayed with the rain. He said, yeah, come look, I'm, I'm doing this work on a commercial building site. We're installing windows. It's easy stuff. Um, you know, I can keep you going for a week or two. So we went and did that and within a week or so, there was a um, certain industrial uh, body that came in and said, oh, you're sham contracting because I'm contracting to a contractor, even though I was a company. Ah, yeah. Um, and so the builder said, well, um, yeah, we kind of still need you. Do you want a job? And so that's how I ended up as a foreman in commercial construction. Yeah, um, right. And then, yeah, the rest is history. I guess I worked my way up over nearly a decade. And um, and how do you yeah. how do you find it? Because like... Um, from what I could hear, you you enjoyed like getting on the tools, like you enjoyed the transition into carpentry and building and stuff. So, is that, Look, it is was that a, a fair statement, or like it was a big relief getting off the tools? Um, yeah, okay, yeah. Because yeah, you know, your body does have a fair bit of wear and tear, and once you get off the tools, you think, oh, you know, this is a really good break. You do definitely miss it. That's why when Vanessa and I bought our first house. And we did a full renovation extension and I did 99% of the work myself, which mm. financially is a horrible decision. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it makes no sense. <laughs> nah, time value <laughs> like yeah. out the window. But, you know, I'm like, no, I'm going to save myself 1500 bucks on this and I'm going to spend eight weekends doing it myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was good. Also, um, nice to be living in a home that I can, you know, say that I'd did myself, even if, yep. you know, financially there's better ways of doing it. Um, it's not all about money, right? You want to have a sense of yeah. achievement and all of that kind of stuff too. So, you know, it doesn't always need to make financial sense. It can just make sense for, for life, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, okay. So, you've, you've progressed up um, through construction, construction management. You're now working for one of the big four, like pretty good career trajectory, I, I would say. So, w- at what point did you... At what point did you get start uh, get interested in property investing? Because I know a lot of people, particularly in trades, funnily enough, it's kind of like chefs don't cook at home. But a lot of a lot of trades people don't actually have any interest in investing or owning homes or whatever. They tend to spend a lot. Of, they spend a lot of their money. Um, yep. And a lot of people who have got a really strong career trajectory, because some of the reasons that people want to invest in real estate is so that they can create more time and more freedom and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes that's actually not correlated with people who have a strong career identity or have a strong career progression because yep. they're just like, hey, I'm crushing it in my career. I'll deal with it later. So I'm interested to understand a little bit of that journey for you. Like, When did you start getting invested, uh, interested in property investing and, and why? Um, 
For me, it was from a relatively young age. Mm. Um, my my best mate, his family had a coast house that they bought down the south coast for you know, you know, spare change in their pocket back in the seventies, um, and it was they were able to, with some other investment properties, they were able to afford a lifestyle where they had the house in Canberra, the family home, they had this house down the coast, but they never had to Airbnb it out or rent it out. or It was mm. available for family and friends. And it was such a nice thing to have that, you know, you had, it's, it was no flash place. It's an old asbestos shack, um, but, you know, walking distance from the beach and it, it allowed, it was a great place for um, friends to come together, for family to come mm. together. I thought I would love to have something like that when I'm older. So the more I looked into it, I thought, well, I can't just have something that's a financial burden. I can't just buy a house down the coast that, you know, that's nice to have, but no one wants the burden of that. So how do I then support being able to pay the mortgage and all of the rates and everything, but still have a place that I can go and take my family to and my friends to, and it's just a nice thing to, you know, to grow up and have this extra space that you're avail- that's available to you that you can explore and do all those things. And then... The, the more I got into it, the more I realised that, you know, maybe buying a coast house is probably not the best of investment decisions. So um, then it went sharply the other way, which is currently the trajectory I'm on. And then the end goal is that one day I'll still would like to buy that place that, you mm. know, we're near the beach and um, the family can enjoy and my kids can enjoy and bring their friends to and, yeah. Yeah. So is that is that so is that why you invest? Like, is that kind of like the north star for you? Is to be able to have those shared moments, or yeah, yeah. I want I want to be able to share those those things with my family and friends. And yeah. not That's that nice. I came up from an underprivileged background by any means, but I definitely didn't come from money where you know my family has all of this abundance to go overseas and everything else. I've always knew I had to work for it and. Just working for it based off salary is pretty difficult. Like even if you're earning a really good money, saving your pennies to to go overseas or to mm. buy a house or to buy a car, these things are really expensive and they take time. And I'm not a patient person, so I was looking for a way in which I could accelerate um, accelerate your success, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I really, I really like that, Nick. I think it's um for a lot of people they're running away from something rather than running towards something. So they're sort of like, you know, they're like, I want to get out of this situation, which is totally fine. And there's no, there's no judgment on either. Um, but it's kind of nice. It sounds like you're running towards something, which is to create something. Exactly. And and the goal's super vague because everyone asks, it's like, oh, what's your end goal? It's like, well, I'd like to retire early. And like, well, how early? Oh, well, I, I don't know. How much money do you need to retire? Well, shit, I don't know. It depends on what my... Um, it's how many jets I want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I, I, you know, and people say, oh, you know, I don't want all the nice stuff. I mean, I don't want particularly nice things, but I'd love to own a Porsche one day. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a goal that's set in stone. I yeah. do know that I would like the freedom, which is, you know, a pretty cliche thing to say, but it's so true. I'd like the freedom to be able to decide, well, I don't want to work in Canberra five days, six days a week. I'd like to work from my coast house two days a week or, mm. you know, yeah, want the, the ability to 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 mould the future as opposed to have it set in stone that I'm gonna to have to end up working on sixty five and you might have to come and work for Dash Dot, Nick. We can we've got to work from anywhere policy, you know, yep. so you could well, go you can work I'm down the beach. Sitting if you in want. the spare room at a coast house in the in Bevers <laughs> Bay at the moment on holidays. So Okay, okay. Well, well we'll pick that up again later. So I'll see you, my resume. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um so give us some optics on your on your portfolio then. Like, we don't I'm, I'm mindful I don't want to get lost in the in the weeds for too long, yep. but like 
what is your kind of tell us a little bit about your property journey? Like, where did it start? What was the first one? Sort of give us some, give us a little uh, bit of a run. We through. bought our PPR in 2015 mm. um, in Canberra, which is on the south side of Canberra. Mm-hmm. Great suburb, just separated by a small hill between what's called the inner south, and then property was 30, 40% more expensive. So we figured it was a good place to buy. Um, that's paid dividends um, over the last six or seven years. Um, we then purchased a property in Goulburn, um, which is about an hour's drive from Canberra. We were looking for an investment property. I wasn't really of the mindset of being too borderless at the time and couldn't afford to buy one in Canberra. Mm. So then we looked at the next spot out, Bungendore, couldn't afford Bungendore, and then the next town out from that is Goulburn. So that's basically... That's, was that basically the research process, was it? That was the research process. Also, uh, working in Canberra, you do you do come across a lot of people that live in Goulburn yeah. and, you know, I work on a construction site, commercial construction, got a couple of hundred people on site every day. So you hear a lot about, because they're all builders, right? So everyone mm. talks about houses because it's what they know. It's their currency is, you know, dwellings. Um, they are all talking about, oh, you know, Goulburn, the prices are going up and, you know, there's this new development going over here. And even from the end where I was working in the business where we were tendering on the hospital that was going to be built down, so, you know, circa $100 million project. And, mm. you know, do you know these things that are starting to come up and you hear whispers? And I thought, oh, well, I've got the money sitting there. I can't, I don't want to buy in Canberra. It's got a zero land tax threshold. Um, so it would have been quite negatively geared. I want something that was fairly neutral. I knew I was going to get good growth out of it. Maybe not with a crystal ball, the best growth you could have gotten in the whole of Australia. But yeah, you've seen the numbers on. I definitely didn't do bad because no. um, you were one of the reasons I decided to sell it. We, we had a chat about, you know, where the next step was and what was holding me back. And it was some mm. of the properties that were potentially could be doing well, better cash flow wise. Yeah. So, okay. So let's kind of like, let's maybe dig into, well, actually, no, we can kind of come back to that. So you, so you bought the, you bought the PPR in, in Canberra, right? Canberra. And then, and then you there bought was, the property in Goulburn. Then we bought in Goulburn. Yeah. Then we bought with a buyer agent um, in uh, Moray field in yep. Queensland. Um, and then, we sold Goulburn. Yeah. No, sorry. We bought Townsville. Yep. With you. And then we sold Goulburn. And now we're going to buy again. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. So that gets us up to, to Canberra, Goulburn, Moray Field, Townsville. Uh, and then you bought a commercial property. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We bought a commercial property. Yeah. You yep. bought a commercial property and then you've sold yep. Goulburn. Um, so, but that was six, six properties essentially. And, yeah, because you're onto your sixth property now in the last yes. in the last yep. seven years, basically, yep. um, and you've sold one, so you've kind of got five at the moment, right? Yep. Yeah. So, yep. T- so it's interesting, right? Because let's let, let's maybe swing back because I'm interested in some of the lessons you learned along the way, like what which ones have worked, which ones haven't worked, why? You mentioned so, there about selling Goldburn, right? Because basically you're starting to get stuck on finance. So yeah, let's dig into some of that. So you, you're like, you read all the books that are out there, right? And there, yeah. there's a lot of books out there. Yep. Um, and some of the early ones I read was, you know, Robert Kiyosawa's and um, I really like uh, uh, Peter Kulisavich's book, The Top 20 Suburbs, just because yep. it's got some more information and research-based stuff. Um, but quite often the investment philosophy five, 10 years ago was either you're either buying for cash flow or you're buying for growth. Yeah. And that's it. That's, they're your two choices. And if you mix the two, you're, you, you got rocks in your head. That was basically, you couldn't buy a book yeah. that was blended. It was one or the other. And what I quickly worked out, and Goldman's a perfect example of this, yeah. I was getting great growth out of Goldman. 
but there's only so much you can redraw on that growth because it just becomes more and more negatively geared. So yep. Golden was purchased for four hundred and twenty or four hundred and ten thousand dollars. Yep. But it was only renting for three hundred and eighty dollars a week, and I had nearly a full. I had twenty percent deposit less cost, so it ended up being I had like I had fifteen percent or eighteen percent deposit or something like that. Yeah. So it was costing me after tax at the end of the year about fifteen hundred bucks, two grand. Sometimes it broke even depending on how much you had to spend on it during the year. Yeah. But then borrowing again, the bank only takes into account 70, 80% of that. So instead yeah. of it only being two grand negative, it's actually five to seven grand negative. And then yeah. you purchase the, In the next bank size. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I've got $30,000 worth of outgoings that aren't realized because it's just yeah. the assessment rate for the bank. So we were getting great capital growth out of it, but the time it would take for me to catch up by, you know, not just rent gouging and kicking a tenant out to find someone more because it's not, you know, they have a lot of protection as well as it's just not a nice way to do business. Yeah. It would have taken a long time for that property to sit on a balance sheet, a way in which the bank would look at it and say, yeah, yeah, they don't care that it were, we sold it mm. for 700 grand. They, they, they care that it's only getting 380 bucks a week in rent, but, um, you know, you've got a $300,000 mortgage on it. Yeah. Yeah, got it. So, what in, what is your investment thesis now, and what do you think people need to know to make sure that they don't get stuck? Is it just as simple as like make sure you got enough cash flow and growth, or you know, uh, like it really is in in essence that simple. But yep. um, there's a like a bit more to it. One, I did the first one myself. Um, yep. I already ingrained in me had more research than a lay person would do because I'm in the industry, I've lived locally for a long time and builders talk a lot about property. So I had a lot of information um, about and some insider knowledge as far as large commercial infrastructure projects that were not necessarily public domain yet that were on the horizon. So I had a lot of the knowledge that most people wouldn't have. So I did make a fairly informed decision. Mm. For the next property, we went to um, a buyer agent and I didn't have a particularly great experience, as you know, and I don't think I got the best property I could have got. It's definitely like didn't go backwards or cost me, you know, a hundred grand and put me back 10 years, but there were better properties out there, which you definitely wouldn't know, Goose. Um, But, you know, the biggest lesson I'd learned is that not all advice is equal. Mm. Um, You know, these, um, other businesses, there are other businesses out there, like the one I dealt with, where they have a lot of experience, they have a lot of exposure in the market, they, you know, they're, they're doing all the right things, speaking on Sky News, all that sort of stuff. But um, it was very transactional, um, and yeah, I think there were there were better options to be had, which is what led me to you guys essentially. So I was looking for uh, a more of a personal touch. Mm. Um, and, you know, just a different approach, different philosophy towards buying. I was sort of also at a point where no one could really help me or explain to me too well about, like, why the bank wasn't super keen on that, why it was difficult, why do I keep having to change lenders? lenders? Um, so, you know, having that discussion with you and Nick and Gabby and to work out that, um, you know, we needed to add some cash flow to the situation and potentially look at getting rid of one or two properties that weren't, yielding as good a cash flow as we needed to be able to project ourselves into that next stage. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, it's really interesting and, and some really great insights. So I'm interested though, like for, for the for the average punter who's out there, how do you work out who to take advice from? Because because uh, it's a tough one, right? It's tough. I mean one thing that I think is important is that you don't take advice from someone who's only their first rodeo. 
um, because they have no, there's, there's no comparison at all. Um, whereas I knew a few people that were, you know, had, that it was their first experience with this buy range and they were like, oh, they were wonderful. They did this, 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 and this. But now having dealt with property for a while and dealt with a few different people, um, that described experience is pretty crap compared to, you know, what I got with you guys, for example, yeah. um, and I'm not, you know, it's not a paid advertisement. Um, <laughs> no, but, no, you know, no, there's thanks. definitely chalk and cheese, and it did take me a while to recognise that. And there's also that, you know, the time benefit. I could have done a lot of research myself because yeah. I know the industry, I know houses, um, I know real estate, I know quite a few different builders in different states that I could speak to. Mm. It still doesn't give you that amount of exposure to the market that, you know, someone does full time, um, and I realised that. Um, and then after speaking with you guys, it was pretty clear that I think we were going to be able to, you know, work together and um, help me along the way. Yeah, nice. And now we're buying uh, our second property together, actually. We're yeah. in the process of you know, yeah. looking at it. I mean, it, the, so. the first one was a banger. The first yeah, let's talk about that because it's a screamer, I reckon. Uh, and screamer. if I remember correctly, I, look, that, maybe I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I reckon there was a bit of skepticism on your There mind. was. There <laughs> okay, was. yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, you gave me a house that was riddled with termites. Okay, okay. I don't know about this. Yeah. No, but look, it was so the deal was it was $230,000 house in Townsville. Yep. Um, uh, no tenant in it. It was vacant possession, pretty shitty condition. Um, needed a bit of work to it. But it needed was, a lot more work to it after the kangaroo broke in, though. It did. A kangaroo did break in, which no one, including the insurance company, believes. Um, Scott from um, Hardcots in Townsville, the legend he is who managed the whole process, he was texting me photos of it because he rang me and he said, Nick, you're not going to believe you. You're not going to believe me if I tell you this. But yeah, anyway, two wallabies ended up inside breaking through the roof and in, locked in a bathroom, <laughs> scaring the hell out you're of the only, You're out. the only person, full stop, that I know that has had that has had a kangaroo or wall- wallaby or whatever, break in through the roof and then kick the shit out of the place and trash the joint. Yeah. Full stop, right? Let alone someone yeah. who's just bought an investment property and it's like in the in that kind of like handover period and we, we haven't even got oh. a It's like madness. Yeah. No, it was, um, look, in hindsight, it's funny. Um, but Nick and I had some <laughs> some pretty good conversations about that during um, uh, during during the actual yep. goes and throws of it. But yeah, 225 for the, uh, 230 for the house. Um the real estate agent selling the property had taken mm. the photos in a way that it basically didn't show any of the termite damage. So yeah. when the building inspector went through, they're like, there's some termite damage. So we mm. did a deal with the owner. We're like, uh, I want to cut some holes in strategic places. And oh, I'm doing this from Canberra. So, you know, Nick and I sat down. Nick Denshier works for Goose, for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about. Um, Nick and I did a bit of a markup on the house plans and we said, and me as a builder saying, I want to cut a small viewing hole in each of these external walls in this location. And if there is severe termite damage and I don't go ahead with it, I will pay to patch those four or five holes. If we do go ahead with it, um, then I take ownership of the holes and, you know, we, mm. we move forward and I pay the tradesman who went there to cut the holes sort of thing. So it cost it costs like um, fifteen hundred bucks to cut the holes and then to subsequently patch them and paint them and everything else. Um, termite damage was there, but not super bad. So we ended up deciding to instead of going in with a twenty percent deposit, go ten percent deposit and use ten percent deposit to basically spend twenty five grand and renovate the property. Mm. 
Um, and the end result was excellent. The place looked great. Got a lick of paint, um, a bunch of fixed bits and pieces that weren't looking good. We had to fix the stairs, the deck, and a new deck and balustrading because it was a bit shoddy. Air conditioner and some lighting needed some work. But in the end, we got a, I got a place where I've got a mortgage of 170 grand on. It's renting for $410 a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, um, definitely that property was um, a lot more hands-on than usual. There was yeah. definitely a few more um, challenges yeah. with it. And one of the benefits was that, you're, that you obviously have building experience. So you can understand the issues, um, which is pretty good. But it's that property is now, we ended up getting that property for like 205000 right after the discount, right? So and yeah. that's now worth about three twenty and yielding at about 8%. So it was three, it was valued at three twenty. Eight weeks after I purchased it for two hundred and five, that was based on the small amount of cosmetic work, doing up all the yard because it's in Queensland, right, or Townsville. So you, you look the other way and it's overgrown. So mm. chopping back all of that and putting up a new fence and you know all of that was mm. only twenty five grand. It was nothing super crazy that we did to the property, but um, yeah, definitely worth it in the long run. But I was skeptical to begin with. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. I'm, I'm just to be just to be clear. I'm glad that it worked out as well. <laughs> so, so that's nice. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's it rented out within an hour on the market for twenty dollars awesome. more than it was advertised for. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've ended up with yeah you've ended up with about a what's that about one hundred and thirty five k uplift, yeah, uh, and an eight percent yield uh, yep. in next to no time. So that's pretty awesome. So um. I'm interested, um, largely because I know you, because you came to us after having had a bad experience. Yep. And then um, there was some some skepticism as we were going through the process, and fair enough, all good. So, but I'm interested now. Like now, we're we're buying another property together, and it's and it's great. You've kind of seen the 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 the, the other side of it, you know, which is awesome. What kind of do you have any advice for anyone who? Because and I just kind of circling this back to like it's very hard to know who to trust basically, right? And so have you got any yeah. advice for someone who might be thinking about working with us or? Um, de- definitely ask the questions. Um, nothing is set in stone. So, you know, if a buyer agent's presenting you with a property and you think that that property is not worth that or you have some feedback on it, don't be afraid to speak up. Um, definitely I would be spending some time in the up front saying to like, and it will go through this process where once we're ready to rock and roll, which mm. um, we were ready to rock and roll just before Christmas, but then the Christmas period is sort of hampered getting stuff signed a witness to the bank and everything. Mm. So we'll be looking to kick off when I get back from holidays, early Feb. Yeah. Um, it, I would be sort of speaking with yourself and Gabby and Nick and saying, right, where, where more specifically will we be looking? Mm. Because, you know, I'm not walking away and using that information to shock myself or anything yeah. like that because um, I understand the value in the research you guys have the capability of doing. But I would have a pretty good background on that area because I will mm-hmm. go and do my own research. If you say we're looking in the north of Canberra, I will make it my you know, I will go and do a bit of research on the north of Canberra so that when you come to me and you say, because quite often the, 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 the deals are quite time precious. They might be off market or pre-market yeah. or, or there might be another interested party because the market is relatively hot everywhere. Um, you don't have two weeks to make your mind up. You might have 12 to 24 hours or mm. the deal will get taken off the table. So you need to be in a position where you're confident um, that it is also a good deal. Um mm. 
because, yeah, in with the last experience, um, I was completely confident that the deal was good. What I was sceptical about was potentially having a property vacant for three or four months while we did renovations. That was something that I didn't have control over, so it was an yeah. unknown, and Nick was pretty good at um, telling me that, you know, it'll, it'll be all good. It'll be all good, <laughs> trust me, mate. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, you got it's a hundred and eighty thousand dollar mortgage. You can afford to float it for a little while. Because another thing, my wife and I do is we won't buy a property unless we have three to six months worth of total costs in savings on top. And is that, usually, per, is that per, it's a very interesting thing. The buffer amount, like, is that per, per property? property? Yeah, per property. As your portfolio grows, you just have that park for every property. You don't have yep. one slush fund. It's, it's in an EFT, so it goes up and down a little bit. I know nothing about shares. I don't pretend to. I tried reading into it once. Way too complicated for a builder like me. Mm. So um, it's they're in like super safe blue ship blue chip shares, but across the five or six properties, that's only $30,000, $40,000. It's not actually a, a lot of money to sustain those properties for a long period of time. And that's how, yeah. we, that's how doomsday, if every property became vacant at exactly the same time, we could float it for six months without having to then come out of my own pocket. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because a lot of people think about buffer. I think about buffers slightly differently. Um, but it's really interesting to get your perspective on that as well. So if you could, if you could, You've learned a few lessons along the way, right? You've had some, you've had some wins. You've had some potentially, oh, I wouldn't say misses, but you've had, a, you've had a few, you've had a few different uh, scenarios going on. What if you could wind back one o'clock ten years back, right? What what advice would you give to yourself? Um, buy more property. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's time in the market, not time in the market. Um, that took me a long time to realize because um, I come from a background where quite often people are building something to sell it or buying, renovating and flipping. The cost of entry and exit in Australia is so high that the margins are so skinny on that that it's not. I mean, sure, sometimes it is worth it and people do make a career out of it. But, like, for me looking at it, it's not, uh, you know, a viable a viable way of um, investing, basically. I wanted something that was a bit more set and forget. Um, I couldn't get itchy feet and um, sell it on a whim or, you know, so mm. I heard that this company is going to do well, so I'll quickly pull my money out of one and put in the other. It's it's a bit more set and forget. It bricks and mortar. Yeah. Um, the Australian dream, owning a property, it's, you know, that we're lucky enough to be born pretty much anywhere in Australia, knowing that at some point in your life, you'll likely be able to afford a property in the city you live in. Um, whereas, you know, if you're born in New York City, um, yeah, or you know, Hong Kong or, um, you know, parts of mainland China, if you were born in those cities, unless you were born into serious wealth, you were never going to buy a property. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, it's, it's huge, right? And you kind of touched on it earlier um, around that kind of supercharging your ability to grow your wealth because you can't like... I think about I think about real estate. Uh, yes, I agree with you because I'm, I suck at shares because I have a tendency to be like a little bit, you know... Yeah. Trigger happy and stuff. So I pretty much only do it just for a little bit of a muck around, basically. Yeah, that's like the Bitcoin I own. That's worth eighty percent less than what I paid for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. But real estate's real estate's wildly different, right? I see that as you know, it, it's you're never going to be able to save faster than your property's going to be able to grow as long as you're buying relatively well. And so, as a way to amplify your current position and move you faster to your future state, I, I it's it's just such a viable asset class. You know, it's so um, it's yeah it, it, it definitely is and um especially in Can- canberra's 
known for it's got the highest rent in Australia. Um, it's also our median house price is nine hundred and something thousand dollars, which will be a surprise to a lot of people listening to this. Mm. Um, but Canberra is a very expensive place to buy property. The public service, I guess, props up the economy a fair bit. But um, the good thing about the public service is their incomes are usually capped at a certain level. Once you get to a certain band, then the amount of people over that band, it's, you know, there's one per thousand as opposed to several hundred. So the the public service cap on incomes sort of keeps everything at a, a reasonably comfortable level, but there is a lot of competition at that level. I think um, definitely there's some great properties in and around Canberra that have... Um, have seen the benefit of the recent the recent growth. We sure have at our house in Canberra, um, but yeah, it's uh, Canberra is definitely one of those great places. that's a bit of a uh, a jewel. Yeah, and what what advice? Because what what advice would you have to someone who hasn't yet started investing? Right, so they might because a lot of, for a lot of people that kind of barrier can be the barrier to entry can be hard. The hardest part is getting started, right? That's literally yeah. the hardest part. Once you start, then it becomes a bit of a flywheel. What would you say to someone who is just like, feels like they maybe can't get started or anything like that? Um, get a good mortgage broker because a good mortgage broker will definitely um, will definitely help a lot. I'm someone yeah. who, I've got a calendar in my phone that's a reminder annually for every mortgage we have to ring the bank and give them a hard time and threaten to leave to get a better rate. <laughs> um, then the same reminder is one week later for me to ring Tim from Multipart, our broker, for him to do the same thing. Um, so mortgage broker, worth their weight in gold. Um, uh, and the other thing is don't be afraid of LMI. Uh, it's cost of doing business. Um, essentially, if you can, if if you need to borrow uh, an extra $50,000 to purchase your property, um, the time it would take you to save that $50,000, the property is going to outgrow it, even in a market that's not moving particularly quickly yeah. in Canberra, uh, in, in Australia, sorry. Mm. Um, yeah, and borderless. Yeah, if, if you live in the middle of Sydney and you're thinking, oh, I want to buy at a place in Sydney, uh, but I can't get into the market, that's because there's better options available elsewhere in Australia. There's a lot of more affordable regions Um yeah, I would. How did you? How did you get? Uh, how did you get over that mental barrier for you? Because you mentioned earlier um, that you weren't into borderless investing, and Goldman it, was just down the road. How did you make that shift to go? Well, this is I okay. Guess, like a lot of people, and I'd be interested to see what the statistic is on it. Mm. But I reckon most people um, that invest would invest in the city they live in. Like yeah. it'd be eighty or ninety percent, and it's a comfort thing. It's what you know, um, and you know, like if you lived in an apartment in. Um, Sydney or Melbourne in 2012, you probably thought, oh, this is perfect. You probably bought another one of them as well, in which case you'd still be in some hurt. But, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I think it was just a comfort thing, knowing that it was locally I knew, you know, that sort of thing. But definitely the, living in a place like Canberra where I knew I couldn't afford to buy, it forced me to go borderless um, yeah. and then have to look elsewhere. And then as soon as I started reading books and watching um, shows and listening to podcasts and hearing about you know, the different options. And at, at the time when I first started investing, every man in the dog was buying investment properties in Logan. And I, I resisted the urge to jump in there. Um, How do you feel about not, that now? Uh, still pretty good, I think. Um, I, I think I wouldn't have gotten the world's greatest property, but it would have done pretty well, mm. I think, or would have done okay. But um, 
yeah, I, yeah. I also learn by listening and reading here a lot more about the demographics and how economy in different states works, which I found mm. quite fascinating because Canberra is really safe and secure. That's why a lot of people invest in Canberra because you get yeah, uh, you don't necessarily get a good yield, but you get good strong rental income if you've got a solid amount of money to throw at it. Mm. Um, very low vacancy rate always. Canberra's always below like 1%. Yeah. Um, and good growth. You just need a lot of cash to get in at a point where you can then, you know, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. So that's uh, like we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything else that you wanted to wanted to dig into? Because I'm... Um, no, not really. I think, um, you know, the, the biggest takeaways from investing is that one, it's possible to do for anyone really. Um, two is that money makes money. I, our first, so when we bought our PPR in 2015 to when we bought Goulburn in 2018, that was me saving money to buy Goulburn. Since then I've put precious little of my own savings into, um, uh, into property because yeah. you know, I was able to redraw and use that equity to buy, purchase again and yeah. then, you know, to keep, keep on doing it that way. You, you end up with a pretty complex um, list of like financial sort of um, hierarchy as far as mortgages and bits go, but um, it allowed me to, you know, project our way through. So numbers over seven years was um, – so we've got nearly $3 million worth of property with a $1.4 million mortgage. So nice. in seven years, um, I added two hundred thousand dollars a year to my income. Essentially, that's amazing. You look at it like that, which um, you know. And when I first started investing too, I was listening to all these podcasts, and every person that came on, they're like, "I own twenty five properties." And you think, "How the fuck did they do that?" And then I, oh well. So I started off, and I bought three units in Sydney in two thousand and five, and then by two thousand and nine, I'd made nine hundred grand in equity. And you think, oh, "Okay, well that's." Also, easy. also, lending policies were very different, right? Yes, so that, yeah, that's actually yeah, exactly. that's actually the biggest one, right? So all of the people that are like, yeah, I've bought, I've got 30, 40, 25, whatever properties, lending policies were wildly different than they are now. You know, you and I are yeah. a fa- fairly similar age. Um, I'm a couple of years younger than you, thank you. And um, <laughs> um, but we're a fairly similar age, and I I had the same kind of thing. I was like, hang on a sec, what about all these people that have bought like thirty properties and stuff? But you know, basically, since the the um, royal commission, you know, it's like it's all kind of changed. You can't necessarily just re- refinance as much. But to your point, though, that 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 growth that just happens in the background, and the beauty of our property is it just happens. You know, you don't even pay attention to it, and it's just and it's happening. So yeah, I mean, look, there's been great growth in the last six months. There's no denying that. Mm-hmm. But for the last six and a half years of those seven, nearly eight years, there wasn't like. 10% month on month on month. Yeah. It was just slowly as she goes, each state has its own, you know, basically, you know, we know roughly what that's going to do as an average over a 10-year period. Um, it's good solid rental returns, low vacancies, all the sorts of stuff that you guys look into for me because mm-hmm. I don't have the time to do it. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, here's a, here's, a, here's a good one for you. As, um, is a, is a, a, a real reason where I worked out why not to try and do it myself continually, which is just a force of habit. Yep. So Nick and I were chatting about the, the place in Townsville. Yeah. Um, and then one day when he rang me, I got off the phone and I was actually having a beer with um, a couple of my mates. Mm. And they're like, oh, where are you buying? I said, oh, here's the address. Have a look at it sort of thing. They have a look. And then, um, you know, then 
my best mate says to me, he's like, oh, check out this place. It's, you know, about the same value and whatever. And I said, because he was in the market to buy an investment property. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, don't just go and buy something sight unseen because it happens to be, you know, a two kilometres away from what I was looking at buying. Yeah. Um, so next time I was on the phone, I said to Nick, I said, hey, mate, there's another property that's nearby. Have you had a look at this one? And I mentioned the address and within two seconds. He said, oh, that's underneath the flight path for the proposed airport. I don't know. That's, awesome. that's what you're paying for. Yeah. That's what you pay for. Essentially, that's literally it in a nutshell. I didn't know that. I would have taken me a long time to work that out. Um, and so that, that's basically the, the level of research that I don't have time to do, that yeah. I put my faith in you guys to do it. And I know you do it. So Yeah. And it's also, just to add on to that, it's also about leverage, right? Because a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to achieve freedom. You mentioned that earlier. Yep. And, and freedom is time. Like really at, the, at its yeah. core, it's, it's time to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And so you just got to be careful that you don't um, compromise on that objective, you know, yes. by trying to trying to do everything yourself. Like a lot of people that yep. are like only buy properties close to them so they can manage all the properties and stuff. It's like, do you have, do you have a desire to be a professional property manager? I thought you wanted like more yeah. time. You know what's going yeah. on? Worst job on earth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, mate, I want to um, I want to kind of dig into uh to our final question. It's been really I've actually really enjoyed this episode. So thanks. It's been very insightful. Um, no worries, mate. I want to kind of dig into our into our last question now and um. I want you to imagine you've, you've achieved a lot already and I'm sure you're going to achieve a lot more because you've just the way you're thinking about property and the way you think about your goals and everything like that. But imagine it's your last day on earth, you know, a long time from now, you know, decades and decades into the future. Uh, you've accomplished everything that you wanted. You've got the, ha- the house on the coast. You've been able to share all of that kind of yep. stuff. Um, but for whatever reason, the moment that you die, everything that you've ever created or achieved is going to be wiped from the face of the earth. But you get to leave behind three simple truths that are going to live on forever. Three lessons that you want to leave with the world. What are your three truths? Um, so I was I was thinking about this leading in, and I reckon I've got um, I got one controversial and two pretty sage pieces of advice. Oh, great, I love controversial ones. Runs. Go, oh. Let's go for it. One is I would spend a lot more time ensuring that religion doesn't exist moving forward, um, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, definitely, you know, uh, I would be purchasing more property so I had more freedom earlier on. So I had more of that time Mm. to do what I want, when I wanted, more time with the kids, more time time for everything, more time to get up in the morning and have breakfast and move forward than, you know, rush out the door and, you know, time basically is what you're buying. Yep. Um, And the third one's escaped me. Um, Okay, uh, so you got no religion, you got more property. Cool. It's pretty solid. So, well, the the property is just time. It's I'm buying myself more time in that life, mm. basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure if you spoke to an investment bro- banker, they or investment broker, they would say buy more shares because that's what they know and they know how to do that. But I just don't like the risk of the leverage in capabilities of it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, and thirdly, uh, I don't know, mate. That's okay. Um, That's okay. Yeah. I think you've got two, 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 um, two, two, pretty, two pretty strong ones. I'll just follow I'll happily that dedicate myself to those two courses. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Nick, it's been awesome. Thanks so much. Um, it's been really nice to have you on the show. I'm excited to see what the next property we get uh, with you is going to be. Um, pass on my regards to uh, Vanessa and the kids. All the best. Will do. Thanks, mate. Appreciate the chat.